Beep boop. Rebooting the lateral show. A sideways look at fantasy football. Ladies, Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen it's, it's the lateral, lateral show. show. Fasten your, your seatbelts, because here, here we, we go. go. and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome into another edition of The Lateral Show, a sideways look at fantasy football. Follow the show on Twitter at The Lateral FF. My name is Herms. You can find me on the Twitter machine at Herms NFL. Today, we will be talking about the Zero RB Draft Strategy. Ever heard of it? Well, in case you haven't, we're going to break it down. And when I say we, you know, it's more than one person because it wouldn't be we if it was just me by myself. I am joined by a new friend that I have had the privilege of meeting through the Scott Fishbowl pick number nine chat, writing his articles over at therotoballer.com. His name is Kyle Lindemann. What is up, my dude? My man. Happy to uh, happy to be here. So many good, uh, so many good things happening. Absolutely, man. Dude, 100%, especially because, you know, like I just mentioned to you before we started recording, there's news. There's right. finally football news. <laughs> right. Oh. I know. I feel like uh, everybody's kind of, su- especially in the community, is kind of suffering from analysis paralysis. Um, you know, Mike uh, Liu from Dynasty Nerds, I think he actually retired now. But oh. he's he always said that if you're, if your five reasons for not liking a player have nothing to do with the player, then it's gone too far. And I, you know, that's always kind of stuck with me. Ain't that the damn truth. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people at some point or another have concocted, you know, similar type criticisms for boom, segue quarterback Baker Mayfield. Hey, Oh, finally got himself out of town in Cleveland and will be packing his bags for sunny Carolina to be in that hodgepodge of a mess with the Carolina Panthers. A team that I swear, it, before we even get into the trade, I, I got to say, the thing that is the most fascinating to me is the path that they have taken in attempts to find the quarterback, like trading for Sam Darnold, doing that crazy wishy-washy thing, the weird mess with Teddy Bridgewater, bringing back Cam Newton after getting rid of Cam Newton, you draft Matt Corral, and then you, now it's Baker Mayfield. Like, just how how did did they find themselves in this mess in the first place like that it blows my mind yeah i mean you know it's crazy because you look back and it was like two years ago you know everybody was so crazy about rule and always going to be the next best thing and you know i think they gave him like a seven-year contract so i mean every i mean there was so much optimism they had mccaffrey um but i mean i think it just kind of goes to show you you know the nature of the nfl i mean if you don't have one of those guys i mean you're continually you're continually chasing i mean it just is what it is ain't that the truth and you know and maybe this will work out better because i think it it's it's pretty fair to say that baker mayfield immediately walks in and is objectively the best quarterback in the room i don't think that's a stretch and then also the beauty of it for fantasy managers out there is that this is also the best quarterback DJ Moore has ever had. 
to work with. So I mean, like, hey, you know, how, how do you feel about the Carolina offense with the understanding that Baker Mayfield is going to be under center? I, you know what, it's, I'm always an analyst first, you know, and I always try to block the fan part out or at least realize when I'm being, you know, a homer or realize when my, you know, my biases are kind of clouding my judgments. Yeah. Um, you know, ironically for enough for me, I'm actually from Cleveland, so I'm, I'm a long suffering Browns fan. Oh. So, I mean, I've watched Baker Mayfield every Sunday for four years. Um, you know, I'm really thankful for, you know, he kind of, he, he really brought some swagger to a franchise that really didn't have any, I mean, before Baker was there, the Browns were 0 and 16, you know, the year before that they were one in 15, the year before that they were three and 13. Um, I mean, those were some very dark days as a, as a Browns fan going four and 44 and three seasons. I mean, we loved Baker. We embraced Baker. I think where he kind of fell short was, you know, he tore his labrum in week two against the Texans and then he tried to play through it. Um, and you know what? I admire the guy's toughness. I mean, he's tough as nails, but it kind of got to the point where Baker wasn't, he thought he was a hero by trying to play through the injury, but really what he really became was like that guy in your office who shows up, who shows up for work sick and like thinks he's the hero, but he got everyone else sick. I mean, yeah. That's kind of what happened. Um, you know, uh, he doesn't really see the field well. I mean, he's got an absolute laser beam for an arm. I think he had like the farthest throw uh, last year. Um, it, like oh, a wow. Hail Mary before halftime, like the farthest pass traveled through the air. Um, he's probably a little bit of an upgrade over Sam Darnold, but I don't know that it really moves the field well. He really lacks touch. Like he kind of just, he fires the ball a million miles an hour. like in the flat down the field he doesn't put enough air under it you know how like when russell wilson drops back and he kind of just puts that like teardrop pass that just flies up in the air and then drops down like perfectly for the the guy to catch it oh for sure yeah baker doesn't really do that he doesn't he really only knows one speed he throws a lot of passes high um you know but at the same time from an analyst Mm -hmm. perspective um you know i could see how maybe some change would be good you know the carolina their offensive line is not as good as the browns was um, Brown's offensive line was very good. I mean, obviously they got, you know, CMC, you know, you got DJ Moore, who I really like, you got Robbie Anderson. Um, you know, the whole fantasy community has just ripped Terrence Marshall to shreds and left him for dead after one season. I don't know if that's really fair. I'm not really ready to give up on Terrence Marshall. He's got some upside. Um, so, I mean, it's not a bad situation for Baker to step into. Um Let's just remember that uh, Ben McAdoo is the offensive coordinator now. Oh, no. And that's, and that's kind of the part that really, really put, put some rain on the parade. Because, like, as exciting as this possibly could be, and, and, and like and you like said, you I mean, said. like, the talent collection is pretty impressive. Like, there's definitely something there for him to work with. But, dear God, Ben McAdoo. I mean, like, the last time we saw this guy running an offense, it, it was not a very beautiful thing to see. Yeah. Like, and I think, and like, a lot of the success that he even ended up having that earned him his stature in football to begin with really had more to do with the fact that Eli Manning was pretty good. Not that he was really doing anything right. Because right. for those of you who don't remember listening at home, at some point way back in the day, Ben McAdoo kind of, you know, found his, uh, found his mojo. Uh, working with the New York Giants while uh, Eli Manning was under center. And that was still when Eli Manning was pretty good. So, I mean, like, I think McAdoo is still kind of riding on that little wave of credit. Maybe not to, like, 
the same degree that Adam Gase got way too much credit <laughs> for the time that he spent with like Peyton Manning, but maybe like the, I don't know, the, the Bud Light version of that to Adam Gase's Budweiser, if that makes sense. Like that's, that's my perspective at least. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's tough. Um, there's definitely, uh, you know, I think Tampa Bay's kind of fallen off a little bit, but you know, with, with guys getting injured and people retiring, but um, you know, you can't really count out Brady until he's out. You know, the Saints still have a pretty good team. Yeah. You know, I don't know how it's going to be with Jameis. I mean, the Falcons are kind of in a total rebuild. You know, they kind of tried to be competitive last year instead of kind of tearing it down to the studs at the yeah. beginning that they probably should have. They didn't. Um, and they're kind of doing that now. So, I mean, it's not out of the question for Carolina, but you know, the NFC is certainly more wide open than the AFC is right now. So, I mean, the AFC is just going to be a gauntlet to go through. I, well, I, mean, I am, <laughs> I'm very much not looking forward to what this AFC is going to be like as a, a fan of uh, your rival Pittsburgh Steelers. I know like we're, we're both going to be kind of nervously sitting, you know, watching our respective favorite teams try to go through that entire conference, assuming that either one of our teams even make the playoffs but right. i think that actually kind of leads in nicely to ask you about you know kind of the impact that this has for your cleveland browns because like i think we all kind of assumed that once deshaun watson was acquired by the team that bridge was burned baker mayfield wasn't going to be around so you know at the very least this guarantees right. it's going to be jacoby Brissett under center now for how long as of this recording we don't know i mean i think i saw on espn either yesterday or the day before you know the league is kind of you know mulling around approaching some sort of ruling at some point soon but you know we, we're, we still have a little bit of time before that but now that we definitively know it's going to be Jacoby Brissett under center how does this you know kind of affect the Browns offense from a fantasy perspective and a real life perspective just you know from you being a fan of the team well I you know I think that's you know that's what makes it hard is like you know I'm a husband I'm a dad you know I have a daughter of my own um, not that that changes anything, but you know, when, when, when you, when you are married, you know, when you do have a daughter, it really kind of changes the way you look at the world and in a good way. Um, so it's just like, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, well, you know, my daughter's still pretty young, but there's going to be a day where she's going to watch football with me. And it's like, you know, how do I, how do I explain those to Sean Watson allegations to her? Um, yeah. you know, and that, and that's tough because, you know, purely from an analyst perspective. And this is ignoring everything else. Of course. Yes. You know, Deshaun Watson, if he plays, is 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 a top five start at quarterback every week. He's out there. Yeah. Um, you know, I it's tough, you know, at the same time, it, it does kind of feel like the Browns kind of sold their soul to the devil a little bit. Um, you know, I but at the same time, the Browns had really kind of plateaued under Baker. They weren't winning because of Baker, they were kind of winning in despite Baker. You know, mm -hmm. everyone talks about that playoff win. Uh, you know, the Browns, you know, Bla you know, I think it was Matt. Uh, I can't pronounce his name, but he was just talking about on Twitter about how the Browns, you know, first playoff win and the, they got rid of Baker. But that was yeah. a playoff. That was a playoff win on the road with no fans. There was no fans in the in the stands at Heinz Field. I mean, I mean, I've been to Heinz Field. Heinz Field is a very difficult place to play on the road. I think if there was fans there, that probably a completely different game. <laughs> 
No, true that. No, for sure. Hey, and hey, shout out Steelers Nation. Always, always a good time to <laughs> plug the yeah. fan in there. But yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah. I mean, kind of, you know, long suffering Browns fan. You know, we did kind of see some light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, you know, I think they do have a really good team. I mean, they have players like Nick Chubb. Um, <clears throat> you know, they've got Joel Batonio. They've got Wyatt Teller. They've got Miles Garrett. They've got Jeremiah Wosukoromoa. They got Denzel Ward. I mean, we're talking about guys that are arguably in the top three, top five at their position. I mean, Nick <laughs> Chubb is without a doubt the most pure runner in the NFL. He just doesn't get the carries. He doesn't get the volume. I really think he could be like Derrick Henry. You know, obviously from a fantasy perspective, his ceiling is kind of limited. He's probably not going to finish in the top five when you've got Kareem Hunt there. But, I mean, Nick Chubb is a really good player. And I think the Browns have a really good roster, you know. But you also look at it, you know, you got Joe Burrow, you got Lamar Jackson in in the division. So it's like no matter what, Baker Mayfield was always going to be the third best quarterback in the AFC North, no matter how you slice it. So, you know, were they going to get over the top of, of Joe Burrow? I mean, I mean, the Browns are going to have to go against Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase for a, for a decade. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of understand it from the Browns perspective, why they did it. I, you know, I I'm completely fine with why they did it. I think it's the how, you know, how they went about it. It's like, if you're going to trade for Deshaun Watson, you're going to trade three first round picks. You're going to give the guy $230 million guaranteed. And you're going to jettison a fan favorite in Baker Mayfield out of town. Well, you know, you should have been pretty darn sure that there weren't going to be more allegations. And that was kind of my perspective when they traded for Baker. I was like, okay, or I'm sorry, when they traded for Watson, yes, it didn't sit well with me. But I thought, but, you know, when he was cleared, when, when they weren't going to charge him, I kind of thought, okay, well, this is the end of it. And then... It was like Alice in Wonderland. It was like, holy crap, we we just went way down the rabbit hole that I had no idea even existed. And I think some of the testimonies and kind of the other stuff, it doesn't really, it doesn't sit well with a lot of people. And it's, you know, and like I said, that's what makes it hard. If, if there's anybody out there who who is refusing to roster Deshaun Watson for moral reasons, or, you know, they say, hey, no matter what, I don't care if Deshaun Watson plays, he's not going to be on my fantasy roster. You know, I have no, I have complete respect for those people. It's not up to me you know, to tell you how to feel, uh, you know, setting your lineup. Um, and I, and I'll tell you too, it's been tough for Browns fans because we, you know, we've kind of been through the ringer, you know, the Browns, you know, up until kind of the mid nineties were really one of the more premier franchises in the NFL. They moved to Baltimore. They came back as an expansion team and, you know, they never were able to get it together for a variety of reasons. And so, you know, that part's been frustrating. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of Browns fans, you know, they want to win, but at the same time, it's like the way the Browns went about it. It's, it's, it's hard. Yeah, and you know, I I was actually having a conversation kind of about that with a coworker, you know, today, just thinking like it, it took them so freaking long, you know, because so I mean, I've only been on this earth for twenty seven years, and in that twenty seven years, it, it not great. I right. I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but. What is it? Since the year 2000, the number of starting quarterbacks you had to cycle through to finally get to the number one pick, to finally get Baker Mayfield, to finally have a guy that takes you to the playoffs. And not only just takes you to the playoffs, but gets a playoff win against a rival of all things. And then for this to unfold the way that it has, I mean, it is super unfortunate. And even though I do root actively against the success of the Browns as a fan of a different team, like... You can't help but feel a little bit bad, and the circumstances really just are 
kind of messy to your point. And, you know, and we have talked about that on this podcast numerous times before. I mean, it is kind of the stance of the lateral quote unquote, I guess, you know, like we're obviously not super thrilled with the actions of Watson. He's not going to be on any of my teams. I don't particularly care to root for, because if I'm going to have a fantasy team, I want to root for the players that are on the team. And I don't really feel good about rooting for that guy, but like, I think the interesting thing, at least that they have going for them with the understanding that whatever type of suspension Watson receives with Jacoby Brissett under center, they're going to be forced to run the ball more. And kind of like what you were saying before about like, it's very hard to argue against, Nick Chubb, um, if you wanted to say Jonathan Taylor, best peer rusher, fine. There's an argument for that, I guess. But, like, it's a pretty widely held belief. Nick Chubb's the best peer rusher. Kareem Hunt's also in town. The two of them, I feel like they're, they're going to have a lot of fun. I think Jacoby Brissett being under center, at least from the perspective of the rushing attack and from the standpoint of, you know, fantasy football right. for running backs, it mm. helps them immensely. The only thing I think I'm really curious about is – what this does for some of the pass catchers. Cause I know like when David and Joku signed that extension, it made some people a little bit more interested in him. And then also Amari Cooper's in town and right. you know, like he's always been a little frustrating regardless of the quarterback that he's had throughout the course of his career. Cause whether it was, you know, catching passes from Derek Carr back in the day with the Raiders or, you know, his most recent stop being able to play with Dak Prescott, you know, like, it's it's been frustrating for him and now with Brissett, it's it's the worst quarterback he will play with at least until Watson sees the field again like well first of all do you agree with me about the running backs and then also what about these pass catchers knowing that it's Jacoby Brissett for a little while I mean you know Amari Cooper his ADP has really fallen down so you know I I don't know if he's got the wide receiver one upside you know I think I think it's funny because sometimes our like expectations of a player coming into the league kind of like impact our outlook for like his career. And I, I think in some instances people have been disappointed with Amari Cooper, you know, because they kind of looked at him as like someone who was going to like absolutely dominate the league. And he's had some really, really good seasons, but he's never had, you know, he's never had double digit touchdowns. He's never gone over 1200 yards. He's never had, you know, he's had one season with 90, plus receptions and and one other season with 83 receptions so he's never you know he's never fully dominated the landscape i mean he's a good player i think he's i think he's reliable he's probably more of a safe pick um you know i i really like this david bell kid out of purdue you know he really has every every um intangible every measurable that you want except he did not run a good 40 time at the combine yeah. You know, I think he kind of posted like a four, six and, you know, people were kind of out on him, but you know what, he really does everything. Well, I think as a receiver, you know, being able to find the hole in the zone, you know, kind of being able to have that shifty speed kind of side to side the, you know, the like, like Cooper cup. I know it's not fair to compare players to Cooper cup. Cause there's only one Cooper cup, but Cooper cup is so smooth in how he bends his hips. Yeah. He's not a super fast guy. He looks fast when you see him, but I mean, Cooper Cup's forty time is only around a four six. So I really do like David Bell. You know, they have Donovan Peoples Jones, who's kind of a, a deep threat, but he's been inconsistent at times. Like he'll be wide open, fifteen yards on the field, and drop the ball, and then you know he'll catch a fifty yard bomb over two defenders down the field. It doesn't make any sense. You know, I think you know one thing I'm always looking for when it comes to tight ends is I'm always looking for a guy that's an elite separator. Yeah. You know, if you look at like some of the monster tight end seasons put up in the last 10, 15 years, 
typically from players that are going to have a, more yards mm-hmm. after the catch because they can they can pick up bigger plays in chunks. So Najoku has that. He really kind of hasn't been able to put it all together. He does block on, you know, a high percentage of plays. So from a fantasy perspective, if you're a tight end who's blocking, well, you're not out there. You're not out there helping your fantasy team catching. You're helping your team in real life. But so it kind of depends where they, you know, put them. Obviously, they paid them. So I think they want to use them. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, though, I kind of like a little bit more in best ball than maybe I like in redraft outside of Cooper. You know, but I mean, if you want to go with a late, you know, if you're someone in your draft and you kind of punt tight end and you want to take Njoku late while shoring up, you know, your roster elsewhere. I mean, I don't think that's a bad plan. You know, I mean, you're not going to get a ton. You know, I'm not expecting, you know, Brissett to go out there and throw for like 350 a game. But I mean, he's not a bad quarterback by any means. I mean, he's he's won games before. Um, You know, I I think it really depends, you know. I I mean, you know, personally, I'm really only expecting that Watson's going to get suspended six to eight games based on the sources that I have, you know, people you know, kind of local in the media that I talk to, yeah. you know, the NFL says, Hey, you know, we want to suspend him indefinitely. That's really just pure optics. They're just saying that because they want to save face. I think, you know, ultimately they're going to probably blame it on the arbitrator. You know, the players union has come out and said that they're not going to, you know, they'll sue the league if Watson gets suspended indefinitely, not because they think Watson's innocent. They, you know, it's kind of a dangerous precedent in their eyes. If we're going to suspend a player indefinitely, who's technically hasn't been charged with a crime. I know yeah. there's some, I know there's some gray area there, obviously, um, you know, from a legality standpoint. So, and Watson pretty much his camp has said that he will, uh, you know, he will appeal, uh, a lengthy suspension. There was even a report that came out that the league said they were going to suspend him for 12 games and then reinstate him and Watson declined it. Um, you know, they've also got Tom Brady's lawyer on the case arguing um, for Watson. And I, I think that's a huge development because that's, that's Jeffrey Kessler. He's kind of one of the you know most notorious attorneys in the whole United States. So hmm. the fact that he's out there, arguing for Watson again, like I said, I know a lot of fans are upset. People in the community are upset. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm not, you know, I have no uh, dog in the fight here, but kind of from what I'm, you know, sources I have kind of suggest that Watson's going to see the field this year. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, you know, good to know this information, good to consider all of this. And also just, you know, real fun little fact that I'm going to, you know, kind of throw out there just before we transition into the main part of the show, because we, you know, plan to talk about the whole zero RB strategy in today's uh, episode. Kareem Hunt, RB 30, ADP of having the uh, ninth round fifth pick, according to the four for four multi-site ADP. Now there's a guy. Now there's a guy. See if you're going to do the zero RV thing. I think, and I, and I talked about this a little bit on last week's episode when we were kind of previewing the Scott Fishbowl. We received a mailbag question, you know, kind of like, you know, what player news could either, you know, skyrocket or, you know, do whatever to, you know, their value. I think Kareem Hunt's kind of a winner no matter what happens if he stays in Cleveland or they, you know, they cut the money and have him go somewhere else. I mean, he's going to be super cool. And that transitions nicely into talking about the zero rb thing sid oh look at me see dude flawless transition flawless execution this is wonderful that's why they pay me the big bucks everybody on twitter at the lateral ff on twitter at herms nfl that's where you can find me um 
So Zero RB, you had mentioned to me that you wrote a pretty cool article about it over on rotoballer.com. And I went ahead and, you know, read about it a little bit. And I, I think like the thing that I like the most about your article that you wrote is, is not just that you went over the zero RB strategy, but the question, and even like the name of the article itself is, is zero RB a viable strategy in 2022? Like the ways that you kind of have to explore this strategy, generally speaking, like you have to be a little bit more creative. And I think you outlined it very well, just in terms of like, there are situations in which it is okay to go with this strategy, but you know, it was something you kind of mentioned when not to do the zero RB strategy, I think is a little bit more important for people to consider. And I'll let you talk, you know, a little bit more about it because obviously it is your article. But the thing that you make the biggest point with, I think, is like if you're in the 101 to 104 range in like a single QB draft and you're sitting at the top of the draft and this like the very small handful of workhorse running backs that are left are there and you pass on them. It just feels like a foolish thing to do, you know? So, like, I don't know. Are there any fun things that you want people to know about the article? I mean, I'll put a link to it in the episode description so if people want to find it, you know, they can, you know, click on it from there and read about it. But I think you laid it out very well. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I, you know, I, I've kind of got a little bit of a math kind of, you know, analytics background. You know, I work in the finance, you know, realm of things, yeah. you know, doing uh, you know, a lot of spreadsheets, Excel, putting together models and all kinds of stuff. And I've kind of came over because I was like, you know what? I could really take this over to the fantasy realm. And and I've even used that for like making my own projections and doing stuff for DFS, doing stuff for best ball, doing stuff for dynasty. Um, you know, and so uh, I don't really try to be pushy as an analyst. You know, I always kind of get annoyed because I feel like Sometimes, especially on Twitter, you know, everybody just wants to have the latest hot take. Like, oh, if you don't take this guy, you're wrong or you need to draft this guy. And I, I've never liked that. I've never appreciated that because it's, you know what, if, if you're someone who follows me or if you're a fan, you know what, it's your team. It's not my team. It's your team. So I will do what I can to give you the best tools to succeed in the fantasy landscape, to provide you with as much knowledge, you know, answer questions. I don't really try to live in this black and white or, Oh, you have to take this guy or because uh, you know what? You're the manager. So I don't try to be so hard, take such a hard line stance. I try to just prevent present both sides of an argument. And it's kind of up to you to decide what you want to do. I mean, I, I really feel strongly about that. Oh, for sure. I, Cause I think ultimately, and at least even from my perspective, you know, just cause I, I don't know how much I've ever even talked about it on this podcast before, but like my kind of background, not quite the same, but at least like when I was in college, my primary focuses were in journalism, but then also sociology. And like, if you are going to like research a topic and do like, kind of a, you know, similar thing as you said, like if I was going to do some sort of research topic about a complicated social issue or whatever, like you have to be able to find both sides of it and present both things very fairly. Cause otherwise like, you need to be able to put together the pro and the con for everything. And that's one of the things that, you know, and to your point, kind of like in the fantasy community as a whole, like being super on board with just like, oh, well, you have to draft your team this way or you're a doofus or just like, well, if you don't consider this, then what are you even trying to win? Each? And it's like, bro, like ain't nobody got time for that. I ain't got no energy for that. Now I say this as somebody who is vehemently against the zero RB strategy more often than not, but at the same time, you know, like, 
I wrote an article about it over at Fantasy Pros. I highlighted some zero RB, you know, draft targets mm-hmm. that I think are going to be pretty cool. And we'll get into those guys later because I think we do have some overlap. And, you know, at some point we will go over, you know, like I'd mentioned before, listeners, the four for four dot com multi-site adp it's a really useful tool and like honestly like you know not trying to you know talk crap on any other website that have you know their adp tools and everything but it does take into account multiple websites and platforms so it is kind of an interesting thing to look at just so you get like a broader view of what a lot of people on a lot of different platforms are doing but i digress not the point right now but like i think kind of like the the big point of it did, actually, no, I lied before. This is my favorite thing that you wrote in the article. And this is actually something that we had talked about on the podcast a number of weeks mm-hmm. ago. You have this list of the running backs who played at least 60% of their team's offensive snaps in 2021. And even if you raise that bar a little bit, just to like two thirds, 66%, like anybody above 66%, I mean, like that's a monster work share. And there were eight of those players i'll go down the list for the listeners just in case you're interested in knowing what these players names are in order Najee harris alvin Kamara, david montgomery derrick henry even though he missed time with the foot injury dalvin cook jonathan taylor joe mixon and deandre swift folks that's the list that is everybody that played over 66 percent of their offensive snaps that really says a lot, (laughs) you know, like that really says a lot about just how finite that number of workhorse running backs are, which is kind of like the point of the whole thing, you know, shout out Sean Siegel over, you know, originator of the whole zero RB thing, or at least popularizing the theory. That was his, his whole point. Like not, not only is that kind of a problem with the way that the league is shifting, but also running backs get injured at a disproportionate rate. If you do want to mitigate that risk, you go with the zero RB thing anyway. So like, I don't know. I just, I just found it particularly astounding when you like outlined it that way. It's just, it's so shocking (laughs) to see that information. It's just like, there's really that few (laughs) number of running backs that are getting that work share. It's crazy, right? It, It really is. And I, you know, the league's perception of running backs has changed. Like if this draft class would have been 10 years ago, there's no doubt in my mind Brees Hall would have went probably in the first 20 picks. I mean, we're talking, I mean, he is phenomenal running back, you know, but because you have teams that don't want to play, they don't want to pay running back. They don't want to invest big, you know, heavy resources in the running back. You're not really seeing running backs go in the first round. So I think kind of given the current state of the football landscape in the NFL, you know, we're not really seeing the true bell cow running backs anymore. The guy who's out there for all three downs. I mean, we have so many pass catching specialists. We've got pass protecting specialists. We've got short yardage specialists. You know, I mean, really the only guy that you could say is really a true bell cow running back anymore is probably, you know, Najee Harris and Derrick Henry. I mean, even if you look at Jonathan Taylor, I mean, yeah, he dominated last year, but he only he only had 69% of the snaps. And I'm slightly concerned that number may go down because Matt Ryan's there and they really like Naeem Hines. So I, I'm, I am, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm not saying you should fade, you fade Jonathan Taylor because he is an elite talent, but I, but I, I am slightly concerned about his uh, role in the passing game. Um, but I, I think what kind of makes, you know, zero RB a little more viable is, you know, the, the days of the, the bell cow running backs are dying. Um, you know, the 2017 running back class really kind of came onto the scene and really, um, you know, gave us some really dominant running backs, but we haven't really had, 
you know, dominant running back classes since then. I think next year's, you know, hopefully going to bring that back. We got uh, B. John Robinson out of Texas. We got Jameer Gibbs. Uh, we got that other kid from TCU. Ah, why is his name drawing a blank? I mean, there's a couple of good running backs. Um, the kid from Ohio State, but he is not going to be uh, eligible. No. Until yeah, no, but, but, you know, Travion Henderson, I think Travion he's, Henderson, yeah. he's only 2024. So, I mean, like, there yeah. is going to be a pretty fun influx of talent coming in. But like you said, like, we still have to wait a full year for that to happen. Next year's class is good. The year after that is good, but yeah. it's in the future. And the future I, is not now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing I've learned to be good on the fantasy landscape and not even from a content creation standpoint, just as a player mm-hmm. is you always want to be flexible. You got to be flexible because every situation changes. Every draft is different. Every league's different. Um, you know, I was having conversation with someone the other day about this. Like I'm not, you know, the biggest Zach Wilson truther out there, but if I'm in a best ball tournament, and I'm going to take him as my quarterback too. maybe pair him up with Elijah Moore or Garrett Wilson. Like I'll do that all day because he's cheap and, and I need the upside to win um, maybe in a dynasty league or, you know, especially in a dynasty league, you know, if I take him, you know, probably with a fourth or fifth round startup pick, well, it's, you know, what if he's not, what if he's not their starting quarterback next year? So there's, there's risk. I think in best ball, I'm kind of more willing to take on that risk, you know, but, as far as running backs go, I know we're talking about running backs, you know, we're just not really seeing the, some of the true bell cow, you know, backs that we, that we used to see. A lot of these guys are not playing a ton. So I feel like that kind of has devalued running back a little bit in my eyes. And I also think zero RB is a little bit easier to pull off. And I kind of talked about that in my article, you know, I'm not going to cheer for any professional athlete to get injured. I'm not going to cheer, you know, I'm not going to celebrate when anyone gets injured, even if I have their backup, you know, I'm just not, not about that, but it, you know, if you're drafting a team now, uh, I think it's much easier to do zero RB now versus two months from now when we get right before the season because you've got training camp, you've got all these preseason games where injuries can occur. So, you know, when you're going zero RB, you, you kind of want to draft some of these handcuffs or guys who could see the field. You know, someone someone I really like super late is Chris Evans from uh, the Bengals. You know, he was a oh. sixth round pick out of Michigan. He he really flashed at Michigan. Then he he got I think he he couldn't play because something with academics. And then he tried to come back. And then I think he got injured. You know he got drafted by the Bengals. He didn't get drafted to the sixth round, but he really flashed kind of in limited time. So someone like him, yeah, he's not really on a lot of fantasy rosters. But if something were to happen to Joe Mixon, I mean, that guy steps into a top ten offense. I mean, so he, I mean that he would he would be a must start every week. No, and, you know, kind of the interesting thing about him specifically is, you know, and I had seen some blurbs recently about, you know, the likelihood that he would be able to supplant some AJP Ryan as the RB2. And everything you said about his effectiveness at Michigan is quite true. I mean, he was a fairly interesting prospect. And even just looking at the 4 for 4 ADP right now, he's going ahead of some AJP Ryan. Now, granted, it's all the way down at RB70. Yeah, I mean, we're talking, you know, pretty deep leagues for redraft purposes anyway, but like, but you're right. Like these are kind of the names that are important to keep an eye on. And also to your point, like doing zero RB early 
Especially because, like, look, you know, it's Scott Fishbowl time. Literally last week's episode, we were talking about that. You know, we're in the chat together doing this whole thing. This is actually a pretty <laughs> interesting thing to bring up because I remember, you know, this time last year, you know, people were getting all all excited, like, oh, Cam Akers, look out, everybody. This is going to be fun. He ended up getting, you know, picked pretty high in a lot of drafts. And then what ended up happening? Oh, no. Oh, no. That was and then, terrible. Oh, absolutely horrible. But it, it 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 highlights the point that you're making. You know, it's just we really don't we really don't know. And if you are going to be in a league that does draft before, you know, the very end of August, like it would kind of behoove you to go ahead and maybe kind of, you know, lean a little bit further away from the running backs early. Cause you, yeah. truthfully, like you said, you just you really don't know. But like I don't know. So it I think you make a really good case for it. And we brought up a lot of really good points, but because I'm just an argumentative, you know, jerk more often than not, also because it makes for better listening content, I'm going to push back. I'm going to push because I got to, I got to tell you something. And this is honestly one of the things that really bothers me. And I do want to get your perspective on this. Like, so zero RB being a thing of the whole, like zigging when other people zag, right? Like, but so many people do it now, you know, like that, kind of makes it like first of all like not only like are we really zigging when others are zagging or zagging when whatever order of the zig and zag you want to put and then also like the fact that you rely so heavily off of the waiver wire now i mean if you're doing the whole fab thing it makes you know it being in your control a little bit easier but like but other people are gonna be going after these guys too and like that's the like honestly more than anything i think that's the part that bothers me is like it makes sense from the perspective of just like pure bird's eye view strategy like yes theoretically if you are able to go out identify these players and then successfully acquire them for your team you're doing great but that also kind of figures a, you're making the correct decision because for every, you know, Elijah Mitchell out there, you very well could have been the person that splurged all over, you know, picking up Chuba Hubbard. And maybe that's not super great either. So, like, there, there's that. And then also kind of like I said, there's nothing stopping your league mates from going after the same guys, even if they have running backs. So it's like, I don't know, like. It, that's always bothered me. And I do kind of want to get your perspective on like that component of it, because like, that's the one piece of the puzzle that I just, I can't quite get there. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I'm actually working on an article right now, a strategy guide for Scott Fishbowl and I'm picking in the nine spot, which, Oh yeah. You know that already. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I like zero RB in the Scott Fishbowl because you have a 22 man roster. So yeah, yeah. Other teams are, you know, preferably the guys you might pick up on the waiver wire are going to be rostered. So, uh, you know, I like it more, you know, if you got 16, 17 guys on your roster, there's more players available in free agency, you know, to kind of use with fab. I mean, sure. I will say this when you're going zero RB, you got to have patience, but I've also accepted that when I, when I have a zero RB team, that probably all of my fab is going to be gone by week eight. That's true. Yeah. Because, because you have to strike I, early. You just have to. Yeah. I mean, and I did on Eli Mitchell last year and it, it paid, paid dividends. I know he wasn't maybe a strong dirt down the stretch, but he really, there was a good like two month stretch where he was just giving me great perform. You know, I was, shouldn't say great, but good enough performances every week. So, I mean, I, like I said, the bench spots go into it. So obviously if there's a shorter league, I think it's easier to pull off. 
yes, you want to have a couple of roster spots for the handcuffs or backups or maybe a late running back who has upside, you know. Um, but yeah, we I mean I would say for Scott Vishbull, I'm probably not gonna go zero RB. I do yeah. kind of like a little bit more modified version. Um, you know, kind of one of my buddies on Twitter, uh Dad Bod Brett, uh Brett Brito, him and I work on some hero RB builds all the time where it's like, okay, we're not going to go zero RB. We'll take one running back. You know, we'll, we'll get one guy that we like in the, in the first or second tier. And then, and then we punt on the RB two. So it's like, you know, we're going to be strong everywhere else. So, um, you know, I think if you're going to do zero RB, you, you know, you got to be loaded everywhere else, but you got to do so with the expectation that it could be a little bumpy out of the gate because, you're going to be at a disadvantage in your week one, your week two, your week three running back matchups until some of these situations kind of get sorted out. Um, But I do think too, you know, a month and a half from now, what is ADP going to look like? Because I remember working on draft strategy at this time last year and Najee Harris was going in the third round. And I was like, Oh man, this is amazing. I'm going to get a receiver. I'm going to come back and smash this guy because he's never going to leave the field. You know, I mean, I was completely sold on Najee as a rookie just because I was thinking, you know, you look at the depth chart, you look at what Tomlin likes to do. I'm like, this guy is never going to see the field or he's never going to leave the field. Yeah. And that definitely proves to be true, which I got to say, very thankful for. Very, very big fan of his. Yeah. But I digress. <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, what what you want to look for, you want to be looking for ambiguous backfields. So, you know, J.J. Zacharyson, uh, late round QB, he was talking about this on the recent pod. And, you know, what he's saying is you want to look for backfields where there's not an entrenched starter and not an entrenched starter that's going in the first three rounds. And I'll give you an example. One player that I'm really intrigued by is Isaiah Spiller. I, I yeah. think, he, you know, he's he's a fantastic pass catcher. He's versatile. Um, he pro- he slipped too far in the in the combine than he should have. So he's an intriguing option. But we all but we need to be aware of the reality that no matter what there's very few range of outcomes that this guy's going to be better than Austin Eckler. He can be good, but he's not going to be good to the point that, Oh yeah. Spiller's out there. We're going to leave Eckler on the sideline. I mean, that's, that's not going to happen. I mean, so unless Eckler gets injured, uh, you know, you, you know, Isaiah Spiller's probably not going to have 200 carries and, you know, 80 receptions. I, I do like Spiller. You know, if you, if you take Eckler early and, you, you know, you kind of want to hedge later with a guy who might who you might even be able to flex as well as play Eckler at the same time. I'm not opposed to that. But, um, I, you know, if I look at an ambiguous backfield situation, I'm looking at Atlanta, you know, because like you got Carter Patterson, you got Damian Williams, two guys kind of on the back nine of their careers. You know, they drafted this Tyler Algier kid um, out of BYU. You know, he was only a fifth round pick. But he, you know, he measured pretty well. So I'm kind of intrigued to see how he does. Not saying that he's going to be, you know, amazing by any means. But if I'm looking for a running back, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'm looking at like maybe a team like the Texans. Okay, can can Damian Pierce come out here and put on a show? And if he does in the preseason, you know, six weeks from now, you're not going to be able to get him at a discount that that you're getting now. So um, I kind of like to target you know, ambiguous backfields in the sense of, okay, there's not an entrenched starter, but I'm trying to get the first running back off the board from that team. That's typically going in the running back dead zone. 
Does that kind of make sense? Oh, no, for sure. And like, I think that is kind of really what makes the running back dead zone a little bit more appealing this year. Cause I will say like earlier on in, you know, kind of my research process, I was looking at it and I was like, Oh God, well, if this is what best ball ADP is telling me, then this is going to be a nightmare. But then as time goes along and, you know, we think more about these things, you know, there is kind of some interesting value. And you did highlight a couple of the backfields that I think are important to consider. And I have a few more to bring up, you know, to kind of throw into the conversation as well. Looking at the four for four ADP, as I've mentioned, I think probably, I don't know, like fourth or fifth time now, literally right there, back to back right now, RB 33 and RB 44. That's Ken Walker and Rashad Penny out in Seattle. Now, I mean, you know, kind of tying it in a little bit, you know, to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, there were some people that kind of figured, oh, well, maybe Seattle's like a dark horse candidate for Baker Mayfield. Well, obviously that didn't work out. So, you know, now it's going to be either Drew Locke or Geno Smith, and who knows how that works out. But if there's one thing we do know at the very least, regardless of how the entire offense is going to work, whether it's successful or not, Pete Carroll's going to run the ball. That's just what he does. That is always going to be what he does, because honestly, if it were up to Pete Carroll, he would run the ball every single play. Honestly, I'm not entirely confident that Pete Carroll wouldn't run the Wildcat formation if he was given the option. (laughs) I mean, like, that's just really what the guy wants to do. And looking at it, like, yes, I understand there are, you know, people, you know, firmly in the camp of, oh, Rashad Penny's going to be able to do the thing and blah, 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 blah. Or, you know, you could be a little bit more like me and be like, okay, well, you know, four games doesn't cancel out, you know, four years of constantly being hurt. But regardless, like the murkiness there driving, you know, their prices down, that's a backfield I'm potentially interested in. And then another one that I had mentioned in, you know, the article that I wrote over at Fantasy Pros about it is that Buffalo is kind of in a similar situation with Devin Singletary and James Cook. And that's one that really perplexes me as to like, why are we not thinking a little bit more highly of these guys? Because I think regardless of what happens with that backfield, the Buffalo offense is so high powered that if Devin Singletary looks anything like he does to end last year, then he's absolutely going to kill it once again. And like, Dear God, James Cook, pretty damn good pass-catching running back, which is a role they haven't really kind of had in a while. But I also think that has a lot more to do with, you know, the lack of personnel to be able to execute that rather than any sort of indictment of the system or what have you. So either one of them, I think they could be pretty fascinating too. And then, you know, the one thing that I will always highlight just because this is what I do when I'm an insane person, but Kansas City, hey, look out world. Do not be smart to the name of Ronald Jones. Do not do it. Okay, do not. <laughs> like I, I was very wrong on that call last year. I made Ronald Jones my personality. It was a very horrible idea. But Coming into Kansas City, look, no matter what happens with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, if the Chiefs do decide, well, shit, we lost Tyreek Hill, what are we going to do? Ah, I guess maybe we could use this guy who profiled really well as a pass-catching running back coming out of LSU. The guy can't really fall into the end zone. It, his whole thing at the goal line, is, it's not working out for him. Whether it's, you know, it's, it, it's probably some sort of combination of his size and just his lack, you know, of a nose for the end zone or whatever. Ronald Jones is a big boy. I mean, he can't really catch the ball. He can't really block. He can't really do anything for you except run it real good. That's the only skill he has. And somewhere in toward the goal line, I mean, he could be, you know, maybe like a James Conner light, you know, as we saw a year ago. When I say James Conner light, I'm basically just saying, like, I don't know, throwback to, like, Pierre Thomas for those of you who played fantasy all that long ago when he was, you know, with the Saints. That could be an interesting thing. Like, those are other really good examples and i think like between the ones that you brought up and between the ones that i brought up i think the thing that people really need to understand is like whether it is a good situation or a bad situation 
the touches have to go somewhere. Someone has to do it. And it, like, oh god, dumpster diving in this dead zone this year feels so good. And also just to highlight some of the names that you mentioned, just to give context right. for ADP. Damien Pierce, that's RB42. You ain't got to do a whole lot to get him. Cordero Patterson, he's leading the way at RB32 and ADP right now for Atlanta. But, like, dude, like, some of those guys behind him, Algier, he's down there at RB50. There, uh, What's his name? Oh, I forgot his name. Oh, where is he? Oh, no. Oh, jeez. I can't even find Damien Williams. That's <laughs> so, like, there right. you go. Oh, here we go. RB68. Like, dude, there's, like, so much value to scoop and i didn't even i didn't even bring up miami <laughs> like, i didn't even bring up the entirety right. of the miami backfield but like gosh i mean is there any name that we didn't mention or not even it doesn't even have to be just a name but like any other backfield that kind of you know piques your interest in your mind um i you know i there has been some rumblings that you know alexander madison's gonna play more I think that kind of has, you know, that kind of remains to be seen. I mean, New England is obviously an ambiguous backfield. Um, you know, I I was a huge Gus Edwards guy, you know, last year, and then obviously he got injured, and I was so bummed about that. Um, you know, he's maybe a guy to keep an eye on. You know, kind of looking through. I, you know, I did really, I do like Hassan Haskins. From the Titans, he's kind of another guy, kind of flying below the radar. I mean, Derrick Henry is going to be 29 later this year. I mean, and it's it's no disrespect to Derrick Henry. You know, he's probably the first running back I've seen probably since Bo Jackson. I'm sorry, he he just turned 28, so he he will not be 29 until January 4th of next year. So I apologize, but yeah, I mean, Derrick Henry's 28. You know, it, he always seems to dish out more punishment than than he takes. He's like the only running back I know who does that. But oh, yeah. He's kind of creeping up into the territory. So Kasane Haskins kind of is a guy to keep an eye on because he's kind of a big similar back in terms of size. Um, him, you know, obviously I'm going through the NFC. You know, Kenneth Gainwell is a running back that I really like, but, uh, you know, yeah. I think he's got tremendous receiving upside. But again, how much is that going to happen with Hertz? And that's not, it's not a knock on Hertz because I, you know, I'm as big of a Hertz guy as you'll find. Um, but Hertz is probably not going to dump it off. He's going to, you know, run for the first down. There, there is a guy on the Giants that I'm really intrigued by, Jason Corbin. He was, a, he's, a, he was an undrafted rookie free agent out of Florida State. You know, there's really no running back two on the Giants. He did kind of flash at Florida State. You know, he's kind of maybe a guy to keep an eye on. I do like, you know, on the Bears. Why is it drawing a blow? Oh, Khalil Herbert. I mean, he there did really go. well. And, you know, I ble- I was talking with Dave Kluge from Football Guys, and, you know, he's kind of Bears fan, and he was saying that he was expecting that um, Herbert's going to maybe have a little bit bigger of a role this year. So that kind of remains to be seen. You know, Monty's kind of always kind of been the bell cow. Even Jamal Williams on the Lions, you know, if something were to happen to Swift, you know, just kind of looking through these, you know, these backfields here. Um, you know, it's funny, you do bring up Seattle. And it's it's funny because I'm like not crazy about Walker and redraft, but I love him for dynasty because he's going so late in a dynasty startup that it's like, man, you're telling me I can have this young running back on my team at like a crazy good value as like a depth piece to kind of like, you know, let's say I've got a dynasty team with like Nick Chubb or, um, you know, Dalvin Cook. But, you know, I could but I can but I also maybe can get Walker, too. 
And it's like, I've got kind of somebody waiting in the wings for like when one of those guys drops off. Yeah. As far as redraft goes, and I actually did tweet about this. I think it's going to take Walker probably a season. I mean, I could be completely wrong. You know, I was kind of looking through. He only had 18 total receptions in college. So that is, and that's not to say that he can't catch the ball, but as far as I'm, you know, I'm always looking at receivers for fantasy who are good on the backfield, because if we look at the, the Seattle offense last year, guess what? They were 32nd out of 32nd in plays run per game. That's not good. That's not good for fantasy. Seattle has a projected win total over under five and a half wins. So if there's questions about Walker's kind of receiving ability, they don't run a lot of plays. He had a 41.3 pass block grade from PFF. Well, that kind of leads me to believe that Walker could kind of be game scripted out of these games. Because if he, if Seattle's behind by 14 points and he's not going to catch the ball, what is he really doing for your fantasy team? And that's kind of where I'm at. I, I I'm, I'm much higher on James cook. And it's funny. Cause like I tell people, I love James cook and every, and people just come at me on Twitter all day about like, Oh, he's not going to be good. Don't take a Buffalo running back. But Brian Dable's not the offensive coordinator anymore. So Ken Dorsey, quarterback's coach, been promoted. I mean, yeah, they're probably going to run a similar system. I can't imagine that they were going to completely switch things up. Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's probably an opportunity that they that Buffalo would run the ball more than they have. You're dang right. See, man, dude, I'm 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 very excited about that situation. You know, and kind of like I said before, it's just like like they're just so good that like even if they don't change anything, like you take players in good offenses. You know, it's it's the anti-Seattle pretty much. Like, yes, it's, it's ambiguous, but like they're gonna be running way more than the 32nd amount of plays. Although Gosh, I'm way more terrified about the Seattle backfield now that you point that out. Because, like, I knew it was bad, but I kind of forgot it was that bad. <laughs> and, like, honestly, yeah. like, however awful it was last year with Russell Wilson under center, there's absolutely no way it's going to – because I'll, I'll tell you what. Like, and also, longtime listeners of the lateral show, they will tell you the most hated quarterback in this, you know, podcast world that we have crafted. Uh, very anti-Drew Locke podcast. We think he is horrible. <laughs> this is not exa- – not, not, not a guy I'm very enthusiastic about potentially being the starter for an offense and you know like at that point the value really does kind of only help you out in a standard scoring league but you know as you highlight in your article like if you're playing in a standard scoring league like you're not really looking for those guys anyway because what what good are they going to do for you you know so like i think you know kind of the indirect point that you're making there as well that's really important for people to consider is like some of these guys are really only going to be beneficial to you if you play in some sort of half point or full point PPR. Now, not all of them, but some of these guys at the very least, like that's where they're going to get their value from, you know, like that dude, it's, it, it's really fascinating. And there definitely are a lot of these backfields that are going to be a little bit murky and difficult to identify for a while. But I do kind of want to ask you as we're getting, you know, closer to the end, if you just had to highlight, you know, somebody comes up to you on the street, they start, you know, shaking your shoulders and screaming in your face. Tell me I'm going to do zero RB for my fantasy team. What's one or two guys that I have to have? What are those one or two names? If somebody just in a complete um, emergency, life or death, you're giving them one player or two. Who are you picking? I'd probably pick Daryl Henderson because he did play a lot last year. I do like Akers. Akers is young enough that I think he can come back from the Achilles tear. Everyone's like, oh, no, don't take Akers. But if he doesn't come back, 
you know, if he can't come back from this Achilles tear and he's just not the same guy, I mean, Henderson's in a great situation. You know, he's kind of showed that he can perform. He's not going to cost you a ton of draft capital. Um, oh man, that's tough. I mean, Kareem Hunt, probably, you know, I would say if you're going to go late, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're going to, I mean, I would say perfect zero RB for me is like, if I can get Antonio Gibson, AJ Dillon or Eli Mitchell right before the drop off. And I know maybe in some people's eyes, you know, a true zero RB is you don't take a running back to like the eighth round, but uh, you know, you kind of get to a law of diminishing returns at that point because your, your quarterbacks, your receivers, your tight ends. I mean, you're solid everywhere else. So there's no reason to keep waiting. Um, yeah. I mean, I would say if you, if you, if you really want to get nutty miles Sanders, I don't hate that call, man. I don't hate that. Cause especially like, especially with Jordan Howard, theoretically, like, you know, barring some sort of miracle where he comes back or something to the team. Cause he's not on the roster now, as far as I'm aware, barring anything that happened, like weird happening like that. Like that was kind of the thing that really kind of hurt Miles Sanders a lot was like, you know, a lot of touchdowns didn't end up going his way. If I remember correctly, zero touchdowns <laughs> his way last yeah. year. And that's just unfortunate. But by the time they kind of really shifted the, you know, the offensive tendency as the season went along, like, he improved somewhat. There was a bit more run in that offense. Now, I mean, did they completely dedicate to that after going out and trading for AJ Brown? Who knows? But like, I have targeted Miles Sanders a lot. It is one of those things that, you know, I think like the only yeah. way for him to go is up. And then also another one that, you know, I think is an excellent call that I wrote about in the article that I wrote as well. Daryl Henderson, man, like, yo, and I got to remind people of this because for some reason people are like really weird about him, but like, you're quoting myself here. Before picking up injury knocks of his own, Henderson's on-field production equated to an RB14 overall output from weeks 1 through 12 in PPR scoring just a year ago, everybody. Like, not that long ago, okay? Like, I get it. Some For some reason, people, like, I guess... Because I, I think what really happened with him is that people got really excited about him as a rookie or whatever, however many years ago, and never panned out, and the people just get mad about that, and they hold on to it forever. But, like... He was good. He was good. And if Akers is not going to look like his former self, it kind of makes sense. And there's no guarantee that Sean McVay is just going to go with a workhorse just because he feels like it. If if the resources aren't there for him to do it, he's not going to do it. But, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I will say, though, like the two, like, and, and you said one of them earlier, and I pretty much every mock draft I've done, I'm just scooping this guy left and right. Khalil Herbert, dude. I'm absolutely here for it, you know, and uh, dude, like with the coaching staff kind of coming over from Indianapolis, like they're, it's, it's a little bit of a two back type thing or whatever. And then I think uh, the offensive coordinator, maybe from the Packers tree, if I remember correctly, but whatever, either way, the influence of the new coaching staff coming in, there's a decent chance they're going to do the two back thing. I really love that. And then Daryl Williams, folks, Daryl Williams, no matter how much I love James Conner, <laughs> you know, the fact of the matter is dude gets hurt. Dude gets hurt. It just happens. I hate it. It breaks my heart. I love him. I hope he never gets hurt again, but he probably will. And like, yeah, talk about a guy that was really good when the when the lead guy went down. You know, hey, for as much credit as we can give to Daryl Henderson, how about how about Daryl Williams? 
When CEH went down, dude, who was that guy off the waiver wire that helped a lot of people? Daryl Williams. It's such an interesting opportunity for him now that Chase Edmonds has gone out in Arizona. Bro, dude, love it to death. I think all like pretty much every guy we just mentioned for the most part. I mean, you can get them after RB30 or something. So, like, folks. <laughs> You, you, you just got to pay attention to this stuff. You just have to pay attention. You have to. And, you know, and, and thank you so much for coming on and talking about this, man. Cause like, it's something like I really, really wanted to just dedicate an episode to zero RB because I have my gripes. I have my concerns, but if you do it properly, it can pay some dividends. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I'll say this, you know, kind of as a, you know, a fantasy, even just from a fantasy player at, you know, perspective is you, you always want to know different draft strategies because every draft's different. You may be in a situation where you're, you know, your draft blows up and instead of panicking, you know, you need to know, Hey, okay, what am I doing in this situation? How am I going to pivot here? You know? So I'm not saying mm-hmm. anybody has to do zero RB because that's something someone's not comfortable with. In no way am I saying that that's to do. I, I've kind of found a way that I can perfect it and, and, and be good at it. But you know, I'm not I'm not going into every draft saying, oh, man, I'm going zero RB. I'm going zero RB because you don't you don't want to pigeonhole yourself. You kind of have I mean, depending on your draft slot and the rules and the scoring, you can kind of say, OK, I've got a general idea of maybe a couple of these guys I'm going to target with my first few picks. But again, that's no guarantee. Um, and it's funny, real quick, you know, before you were talking about Miles Sanders was I actually did two dynasty startups on FFPC that took place like before the NFL draft and nobody would touch Miles Sanders or James Conner. I think I got them both like after the 10th round Ooh. and I, I have them both on my team with uh, McCaffrey and it's like, uh, you know, I'm very happy about that because like I got those guys so late because everybody was scared they were going to draft a running back and they didn't. Oh, dear God. See, well, look at that scooping the value. My guy, there you go. Woo, yeah. Well, Arizona, I mean, Arizona took Keontae Ingram, but I mean, he was, what, a six-round pick? I, I was kind yeah. of in, intrigued to see what he might be able to do, and maybe he might make a splash. But, yeah, I mean, Daryl Henderson, or I'm sorry, uh, Daryl Williams, yeah, definitely sneaky good value there for sure. Um, You know, probably my last point would, you know, if you're targeting these zero RB guys, you know, you want to target somebody that's on on a good offense because obviously, if Daryl Williams steps in, I mean, he's going to kill it for sure. Yeah, I mean, we saw perfect evidence of it just to see not a few months ago. You know what I mean? Because you know, for we we think about it as if you know, last season was forever ago. But hey, in the grand scheme of things, it was not that long ago, folks. We really just recently saw it how good he was. So, man. I appreciate you coming on, man. I really do. It's been great getting to chat with you and do all this stuff and getting to know you through the Scott Fishbowl chat. And, you know, before, you know, you sign out and tell people where they can find you, Scott Fishbowl drafts are starting pretty soon, everybody. If you haven't gotten, you know, your mocks out of the way yet, if you want to do some, just get out into the community. If you're in the Scott Fishbowl chat for your various picks, just, you know, hit somebody up. Be like, hey, is anybody aware of anybody, you know, putting on some mocks get into it get to know everybody get you know talk to people make friends network do the whole thing that's what it's all about it doesn't matter if you win the scott fishbowl it just matters if you have fun and you make friends out of it so just keep that in mind uh kyle where can people find you on the twitter machine where can they find your written work all that stuff in case they fell asleep at the beginning when i was saying that and they're just like oh oh, who's the second voice that i'm hearing oh gosh who is this guy oh tell the people it's uh luck luck is made uh, FF. So Lindem in my last name, but most people actually call me lucky Lindy. It's kind of my nickname, but the, um, 
maybe that's what I should have gone with because Lindemann's long. But yeah, it's luck is made. Uh, FF, you know, and, and I'm on, you know, I write for Rotoballer. So always happy to, uh, you know, push content out there. Happy to answer any questions. My, you know, my DMs are open on Twitter. I always love it when people message me and, and ask me about advice on a dynasty trade. And yeah, so thanks for having me on, man. It was fun absolutely dude anytime anytime and hey if you like this podcast and you want to hear more episodes but with different people talking about different stuff you can subscribe on spotify apple podcasts wherever the podcast comes out and if you don't mind if you don't mind listeners out there a five-star review would really go a long way now i still haven't figured out exactly what five-star reviews do but i've heard it's good and I like it when good things happen. So if you could do us a favor, leave a five-star review for The Lateral Show, a sideways look at fantasy football, that would be fabulous. If you want to, follow the show on Twitter, at The Lateral FF, and you can follow me on Twitter, at HermsNFL. If you want to do more than just hear my voice talk about football, you can read my words talking about fantasy football over at Fantasy Pros. I do a bunch of stuff over there, whether it's, you know, writing articles, editing articles, doing the whole thing. It's, it's just where all my other stuff can be found. So until next week or maybe the week after, uh, 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 see, you see, you know, I still haven't figured out a great way to close the show. I've been working on it. I've, so I've got it down to like three different choices. What I think I'm going to do is just be like, that was the lateral show, your sideways look. But that feels kind of lame, you know? And then I was also thinking just like busting out like a ukulele or something and just, you know, kind of going with like a tropical ending. Beep, boop. Follow The Lateral on Twitter at The Lateral FF. Beep, boop.